0: You're listening to episode 185 of the Pastor Writer Podcast Conversations on Reading, Writing, and the Christian Life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Well, it's good to be back with you uh, this week. I've been taking a few weeks off this summer and obviously been spending quite a bit of time promoting the five masculine instincts. So for all of you who've picked up a copy of the book or shared it, I really appreciate it. You might also consider leaving a review. You can do that anywhere you bought it, perhaps at Amazon or Goodreads. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who's been able to do that and pick up a copy of the book. It's been a lot of fun to see it get out there. I am really excited about today's conversation. I have the privilege of talking with Trevin Wax. I've followed his work for a number of years through the Gospel Coalition, but really a a whole stack of books that I have of his on my desk. And uh, we get a chance to talk about a couple of books he has coming out, a devotional on the Psalms, really a reading plan through the Psalms, and then also The Thrill of Orthodoxy, a really important book that's coming out later this fall. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm joined on the podcast today by Trevin Wax. He's vice president of research and resource development at the North American Mission Board and a visiting professor at Wheaton College. He's also a former missionary to Romania, and Trevin has been a regular columnist for the Gospel Coalition, as well as contributing to the Washington Post, Religious News Service, World, and Christianity Today, which named him as one of the 33 millennials shaping the next generation of evangelicals. You may have picked up one of his previous books. He's got a series of books, including The Multidirectional Leader, Rethink Yourself, This Is Our Time, Eschatological Discipleship, and Gospel-Centered Teaching. But he joins me today to talk about a recently released book through the Psalms, a 30-day reading through the Psalms that he's put together, although I have a feeling we'll talk about a few other books. So Trevin, uh, really a privilege and honor to have you on the podcast.
1: Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we'll get into the book on the Psalms here pretty soon, although I have got, I feel like I have a st- stack of your books on my desk. I've also got your annotated guide to orthodoxy, and I've pre-ordered The Thrill of Orthodoxy. So there's oh, so much wow. we can talk about. You've been busy. So, <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. Well, maybe a good place to start, uh, for those who may not be familiar with your work, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've been doing with the North American Mission Board and uh, how you're spending your time today.
1: Yeah, so uh, coming up on a year, uh, a year ago, I moved over to the North American Mission Board to help lead a small team that is dedicated to doing research and resource development uh, for pastors, for church planters, um, just developing lots of free resources. So uh, we've launched a website called newchurches.com that has a lot of uh, video courses that are available for free with some uh, just some really top-notch people in in church planting. And uh, there's articles, there's a podcast associated with New Churches, and then there's other aspects of uh, North American Mission Board's work that we've been been involved with um, uh, send Relief, the uh, disaster relief organization, and they they do a lot of compassion ministry um, across the country. and then um, uh, there's an apologetic side to the North American Mission Board's website that's uh, highly trafficked and' is great to 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 be a part of. So uh, you know we we get to get involved in different resources that are are coming out that are available. Just giving them away, making them be there to equip pastors and and church leaders for uh, the the ministry needs that they have.
0: I'm I'm really curious to hear how you got to this work. Um, you've been doing you know your own writing, but also sort of editorial work. I know you did work with the Gospel Project, now the Mission Board. Uh, what does that trajectory look like from you? You know, education and school and expectations to today, uh, really just producing so much content, resource in so many different ways.
1: Sure. Well, I, you know, for me, it started as a, as a cross-cultural missionary. Um, I did my undergrad work at a Christian university in Romania. So I spent uh, five years of my life. I spent um, uh, doing mission work overseas. I, I met and married my wife over there. We had our uh, first son during that period of time. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, a lot of my sort of ministry outlook was forged uh, on, you know, in the, in the field of mission, you know, try, figuring out how do I contextualize, how do I talk to, you know, young people in this village in Romania, or how do I preach? What's the difference between preaching in a village and a city, uh, over there and, you know, learning another language and culture and whatnot. And, and I think that experience also gave me the opportunity to look back at the, at my own culture, to look back at the United States and to, to be able to see it from, from the outside in, so to speak, you know, to, to be able to, um, you know, you get out of your culture, you can see it differently. And so when I came back to the States, um, I, you, I, I was an associate pastor for a few years. We, I, I did my, um, my master's degree at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville. And then um, I, I did a PhD at Southeastern Seminary over the years during my, my time when I was at, at Lifeway. But I had been writing through most of that period of time. I've I've really written ever since I was a kid. And so for me, just, Output. And when it comes to 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 writing and reading has been something that's come very natural to me over the last uh, twenty years or so. And it's been uh, you know a joy to be able to continue it and to have different opportunities to to use those gifts and, and you know in different spheres as as the Lord has opened different doors.
0: Yeah, it's uh, really a privilege to be able to talk to you at summer, too, because I know this is a, a time of the year that you spend a, a lot of focus on writing, on resources. And uh, I was reading you had posted for the Gospel Coalition kind of a, a life update about all the projects going on. And one of those was some really interesting opportunities with the C.S. Lewis Foundation. I'd love to hear a little bit of the what you're doing with them uh, now and in the months to come.
1: Right, so I mean, a little bit of a dream come true for me. So I've got some, uh, I've got the opportunity to to guest lecture at um, at Oxford this fall, and um, still putting together some details related to that. But setting up that that time of uh, when I'm going to be in Oxford, I, you know, I went ahead and I just I, I did an application to be a scholar in residence for the CS Lewis Foundation, which is the the group uh, that it's the organization that um, oversees the, the stewardship of the kilns. Which is the the home that that Lewis lived in for uh, for, for several decades, and so um, I you know i visited the Kilns one time, but I I had not really thought about going there to do any any sort of study and writing and whatnot. But uh, this opportunity at Oxford arose. I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to uh, tag on some time uh, with that opportunity to tag on some time to do some reading and writing? Uh, I, I I have the usually a couple of times a year we'll get away to do some some writing. Um, and I thought what what better place for a, you know, a CS Lewis fan like me, a nerd like me to be, except to be at the kilns doing that, that, um, that writing this fall. So, so that's, that's my opportunity. I've, you know, I've got several different projects that'll probably be in the works by that point that I'm, I'm trying, still deciding on which one I'm going to to make the the real focus of my time and attention there. But uh, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to 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 getting away and to being able to to be one of the scholars that stays at that at, at the house. That's what the the kilns is is used for now. You know, there's a few rooms that are shown to people. You know, kind of almost museum like, but several of the rooms are are functional. And you've got you know you've got different scholars, most of them who study who are studying at Oxford. Uh, who stay there and then occasionally they'll allow a, you know, a scholar like myself. It's there on a very temporary basis, just, you know, a couple of weeks or so will come in and and do some work. And so, uh, yeah, very, very excited about that opportunity.
0: Yeah. It's such a cool opportunity. We'll, uh, we'll know which book you were working on because it'll have the most C.S. Lewis quotes in it is my (laughs) imagination. Like it'll be impossible to avoid them being there in that setting
1: probably, or I'll just have so it, it'll just be infused into the work. You
0: know. <laughs> well, I got a copy of this devotional through the Psalms a few weeks back, and I've been carrying it with me uh, so far through July and using it. It offers these sort of uh, morning, midday and evening reflections through the Psalms and prayers. And I'd love to hear a little bit about um, where this project came from. What drew you to I know you sort of served collecting it and putting it together where that inspiration came from and the need for this book.
1: Well, I've, I've always loved the Psalms and have grown to love them more and more. The, the you know, as I, as I get older, um, I, for me, though, this project was one in which I thought, you know, one of the, the beautiful things about, um, it, there's a couple of, a couple of things, uh, going on. There's the beauty of praying at particular times of the day, you know, fixed hour prayer, like the, uh, where you, you deliberately punctuate your day with, with moments in which you're going to, very deliberately um, raise your your affections and your heart and your mind to God. And um, so there's, there's that tradition that's a long tradition in the Christian church. Um, and then you've got the, you know, like the Book of Common Prayer, and you've got praying um, uh, beautiful prayers written by people um, through the ages, you know, Christians that have gone before us. Um, so there's that sort of tradition out there. And then there's, of course, this you know, centuries-long tradition of praying through all the Psalms in a month. And now, the way that I've heard people talk about doing that is they say, oh, you know, there's 150 Psalms and you, you know, you divide them by five, do five a day, and you've got 30 days worth of Psalms, which, which sounds terrific, except that the Psalms are of such varying lengths that, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, for me to be able to do the five a day, like sometimes that takes five minutes and other times that takes 30 minutes. And it's depending on the psalms, um, so I thought, you know, what 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 would it be like if I could take this this tradition of praying, you know, three times a day, um, match it with sort of a prayer journey that incorporates, you know, some old great confessions of faith, what it is we believe, uh, other songs from scripture, uh, 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 prayers that have been composed by people who have gone before us in the in the Christian tradition. Uh, if I could take that, and then I I could, uh, you know, uh, take the psalms and 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 divide them up so that the 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 amount of time you'd spend for each reading would be symmetrical at least at some level so that you know i'm sitting down for 5 to 8 minutes or so to work through the psalms during this portion of my prayer and i'm doing that 3 times a day and so that you just you would build this rhythm into your life of i'm going to pause for you know 5 to 10 minutes in the morning 5 to 10 minutes in the afternoon 5 to 10 minutes in the evening and I'm am going to to get through all the psalms in a, in a month, and uh, so that's really where it came. It really was a way for me to discipline myself to to make this a more regular habit of prayer. And um, in, instead of just praying through the psalms, I also I wanted to have that to make it almost like a journey. Like this is a start to finish. This is what you sit down and you work through this book, and you will have prayed through all the psalms in, in, in 30 days, and you'll also have have enjoyed a very rich, hopefully devotional journey along the way.
0: Yeah, well, I think the book is a great tool for that. It's kind of the perfect size, and it's really, really, I mean, it's a beautiful book. It's well-bound and has a ribbon, so it makes it easy to keep your spot. And um, right. certainly, I've been enjoying it the last few days, too. Um, as you as you think about the value of the Psalms, you are alluding to the fact that there is this tradition within Christianity over hundreds of years of, of sort of immersing yourself in the Psalms as a part of your daily spiritual life. What is it that the Psalms are doing for you personally, but then also for how you're understanding your faith in Christ and your reading of the Bible beyond the Psalms?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's hard to immediately say what the Psalms are doing in you personally, because I think a lot of times the spiritual disciplines, the effect of them, the effects of our spiritual disciplines are not readily seen. So, um, you know, the... It's kind of like, what's the effect on your body if you wind up walking five to 10,000 steps a day, taking that many steps a day? Well, it's, it's hard to know or hard to see it exactly, um, you know, from, from day to day. And Psalms and I think the discipline of, of praying through these songs, ancient songs of scripture is similar to that. Um, uh, there are moments in which you recognize very quickly, personally, what is happening. Uh, where you will sense the this sort of palpable uh presence of the lord uh as you are working through these songs and it the, it may surprise you where they come from it sometimes it's not the uh, familiar psalms but the unfamiliar ones and then other times it's it's one it's like a psalm 23 but there's a, a line or something that hits you in the moment that you that you need it and it just it's it's striking in the way that it it, it stays with you um, but a lot of it uh, honestly is is just as you're working through this, you 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 recognize and you trust that the Lord is using this to feed your soul and to grow you into the kind of person that He wants you to be. Um, it's 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 like eating. Not every meal is memorable. Not every time you sit down and you you know you you don't remember all the snacks you ate three three weeks ago or the meals you had, but you but somehow they sustained you, right? And so I I think the Psalms. Uh, it's it's like that. These are the, the the songs that God inspired, that God designed and wanted us to have in these scriptures. Um, the these are the the songs that Jesus and the disciples knew by heart and sung. It's is the prayer book of Jesus. Uh, it is it's it's amazing to think about, but it's a prayer book that Jesus used, and it's also about Him in so many ways. It's the it's the book that's most quoted in the rest of the New Testament. Um, you know it's so it it's it's like I feel like we're we're really not benefiting from the treasure that we have unless we are immersing ourselves in this very god centered view of life that comes from these songs that that God has given us.
0: You write in the introduction of the book that these the phrase you use is that the psalms are a kind of spiritual workout, which is what I think you're describing, and that we recognize there are some certain practices we need in our life just to maintain health, that the Psalms can be one of those tools that we use just to maintain spiritual health as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I compare it to a workout because I think it, for some people, and I'm sure there may be some people listening here that think this sounds really hard. You know, I'm going to work through a prayer journey that's going to even add additional prayers and stuff to... 150 Psalms. That's a big chunk of the Bible, and I'm supposed to do it three times a day. And you're thinking, like, I, you know, I don't know that I can take that on. And the way I look at it, it's like, well, okay, well, maybe not the whole thing the first time. If you don't want to, you could try just doing the morning readings one one month, and then the evening readings the next month, and the midday readings another month. And I mean, you do the Psalms in three months, 90 days instead of 30 days. Like, there's no uh, the way I look at it is if you if you feel like it's I, I think using the workout language though helps people recognize. Um, that it's something that you're doing for your spiritual health. It's something that you're doing to bring glory to God. It's not something that's going to necessarily result in the lightning bolt of inspiration every time you do it. Um, But over time, just like a physical workout is changing your body, this is changing your soul. It is changing your soul. It's changing your mind. It's changing your affections. It's pointing you to God. It's giving you a vocabulary for the different kinds of events and feelings and sentiments that may be out there. It's, it's uniting yourself with people across time and space uh, praying the same words to the same God who gave us these words in the first place, you know? So I use the workout language so that people will have a, will, will understand that and not have a, an overly romanticized view of what they might feel the whole time that they're doing this, this, this process. It's not about the feeling. It's about the fact. Of what actually this process is doing to you over time. That's it's it's the big picture that I hope people will uh will will keep in mind as they as they consider a
0: discipline like this. I think it was Calvin that talked about the Psalms being an an inventorying of the human heart, that the Psalms basically mm-hmm. capture every emotion or experience that the heart can have. And so it does strike me that it's kind of as we are prone to like certain workouts or not others or like cardio or lifting or that the psalms sort of force us into parts of our lives or to inventory parts of our life that maybe without that discipline, we just have a tendency to avoid or, or to be completely unaware of.
1: That's a great point. And you know, another thing the Psalms do do is they, they allow, they, they actually pull you out of the familiar places that you would most likely go based on the feelings you most often feel. So to give an example for that, um, you know, you may be in a season of life in which everything is going great. You're really content. You're feeling good about things. You're spiritually, things are well. Everyone's healthy. You know, you just, you're kind of in that moment where you just want to praise the Lord for all of his goodness. Well, there are a lot of Psalms that are just celebratory like that. They're just jubilant, right? But then you have these lament Psalms. And see, the thing about a discipline about praying all the Psalms is you are going to have to traverse the 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 caverns of the human heart and all of the different the, the you know the inventory that you said like all of the different emotions and feelings that are out there and they may not be the ones that you're feeling in a particular moment and yet in those moments for example when i'm feeling really happy and joyful and i'm praying these psalms of lament i'm not praying them because in that moment that's what i feel i'm I, i'm praying these psalms of lament i'm allowing my soul which feels a certain way to, to, to grow, to express the feelings that other people that I know across the world probably have in that very moment, I'm lifting my voice along people who are in deep, deep seasons of lament, who have just lost loved ones or facing persecution for their faith or, uh, have been through incredible trials or are wondering where God is at. I may not have that moment of like, may not be feeling that in the moment. And yet I know there are other Christians that that is their experience right then. By my sort of transposing myself into expressing back to God a psalm of lament that I don't happen to be feeling at the moment, I am uniting my heart to other people that are in that particular uh, place. It's, it's, it's like a, a way of interceding. Uh, and then the flip side is also true. I may be in a season of questioning, of wondering, like, what is God up to? Why can't I hear God? Where is God? I don't understand why God is doing as I may be in, in in inconsolable grief. And one of these happy, joyful psalms about the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of God comes up. And, and sometimes it may it may even be hard because my emotions are not where that psalm is, but I'm going to... I mean, this actually happened to me. There was a a friend, a colleague of mine who was killed tragically in an accident, and I just... Um like the he's 30 something years old, left his wife and kid kids behind. I and I'm like, God, what are you doing? You know, I remember that day and that Psalms reading that day was one of those really, you know, I will praise the Lord for his goodness and faithfulness. And I didn't feel it at all. But I I in that moment was like, you know, this is I, I am going to I'm going to say this to God, even though this is not where my heart feels right now, because I know this is true. This is true. And so there are times when the psalms, I think, grow your heart and your emotions to be able to capture, capture more uh, of, of 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 the whole gamut of human emotion because God has given us these these songs.
0: Yeah, that's a really helpful way of thinking about it because it does feel like it feels like it's never been easier. To allow my emotions or my feelings to drive my spiritual pursuits, right? It's what, what do I want to read about right now? What do, I, what do I feel like listening to right now? What kind of a sermon do I need right now? You know, we have, because of so many resources available to us, a good thing, it is really easy to start making my spiritual life just what I feel like consuming in that moment. And that the Psalms can be a kind of tool for pursuing that spiritual growth by a discipline, a means of discipline beyond just what I feel, that there's something deeper that I'm returning to than just that emotion of the moment.
1: Right, right. And I think, I, I mean, this is where the Psalms are just incredible uh, because they they do pull us out of that. They do help us to to have a, they, they give us, I think what's unique about them is that they give us the freedom to express the emotions of our faith. And then they call us to deeper emotions. At the same time, to to not being completely led only by the emotions that we may feel, and and I think that's one of the things that makes them them special. Um, one thing I would add about this particular prayer journey is that it's structured in such a way that the 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 readings that surround the psalms, so the you know the prayers from the church, the confessions of faith, confessions of sin, and whatnot, the call to prayer, those things. Those are structured in such a way so that you move through the great themes of the Christian year, and uh, you you do it four times throughout. You do it. Uh, um, the first day is very focused on Advent and anticipation of Christ's first and second coming. The second is uh, um, Christ's manifestation of His glory, you know, Epiphany. Uh, I'm sorry, um, the incarnation, Christ's um, d- descent. Uh, it, so Christmas. The the, the third day. Is uh, epiphany the manifestation of His glory through His His earthly ministry, and through the mission of the church even today? Uh, Then you have the 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 season of repentance moving toward um, Easter. So there's that focus on the cross is day four. Then day five is Easter and celebration of the resurrection. Day six is uh, Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then day seven is Trinity, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. So if you go through this prayer journey, you will week to week, you will move through the season of the Christian year four times where that theme is just is 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 going to be there. So there's a there's a sense in which it's not this particular version of the Psalms, it's not just the Psalms themselves that take you out of whatever you may be feeling in a moment, but also this entire rhythm is meant to instill the, 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 the story of Christianity, the story of the gospel into our hearts and minds as we, as we allow it to do its work in our hearts.
0: As a writer, I would love to hear about how you put this book together, because it is, as you're describing it and also reading it, it is clear this is not as if you just made a big list of the Psalms and then broke them into daily readings by word count. I mean, there's a lot of intentionality going into the prayers that are positioned with them, the quotations as you're describing them. Uh, How does a book like this come together?
1: So I put it together for myself, just for my own personal devotional use back in August of 2019. And that's when I started using it. That was the first month that I kind of went through it. And I you know i found things that i wanted to uh, th- that initial edition i I've, I've started tweaking things right away you know i already had had the idea let's do the the christian year and the seven day thing let's you know let's pull from uh, different believers throughout time that that fit the themes of the day and kind of what's happening um, but i did this really for myself to structure my prayer life i just i needed more structure i needed some structure you know there's a there's a place in the book as well in every single Morning and evening, there's a place for intercessions and personal requests, and it's basically for you to bring your your own thoughts and prayers and 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 concerns for the day before the Lord. And I just I loved having that placed in within this bigger structure of 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 praying through Scripture in this way. So, uh, you know, I, I I tweaked it and changed it, and then COVID hits in you know 2020. And really quickly at that point, I thought, you know, I really want to share this with as many people as possible because I think we're all stuck at home. We're all in quarantine. This was March, you know, we're all in quarantine. What if we could get this out in April and we could, you know, we could all we could thousands of people be praying the Psalms together, lifting our voices together with through this journey three times a day, stuck in quarantine. And there were thousands of people that downloaded the PDF and started doing the journey and that commented on it and talked about it and, and whatnot. And so at that point, I thought, okay, we, I, I may be, a, you know, as I continue to tweak it here and there, we, there, there's a, we need to do a, a, an actual beautiful, you know, hardcover cloth overboard edition, uh, that could really be used. And, and that's, that's what, what came out, um, last year in, in 2021. We, we put that together and, you know, I I guess through something of trial and error, then also hearing just feedback from different people about you know some of the psalms and where they were next to each other and how it all worked, uh, it it came to be the you know the book that you've got and that's available now. That hopefully is um, uh, you know I, I hope it is very intentionally beautifully designed for a very rich devotional experience because that's that's what I needed and that's what people have seemed to have benefited from.
0: Yeah, well, I'm really grateful to have it. It's uh, I'm, I'm late to the psalm reading party, but um, uh, of course, not had the book until the, just this last month. And so I'm uh, keeping it in my bag with me when I go to work, trying to use it in the way that you've laid it out. Again, the book is just Psalms in 30 Days, published by Holman Bible Publishers. You can find it uh, just about anywhere, I think, that you order books. I do, if it's all right, though, want to ask a couple questions about it. I know you've got another book coming out this fall um specifically the thrill of orthodoxy maybe you could just give us a little bit uh it's available for pre-order but a little anticipation of what that book's about and what's to come
1: right i'm i'm really excited about this book and i appreciate you mentioning it it is a um it, it's been a labor of love it's been in, in my heart and mind for several years now actually um i did a a a conference talk at the gospel coalition a few years ago on this very subject and the i the focus of of that talk was to say Uh, you know, heresies and errors, theological errors, always market themselves as broader and more generous and open than orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is this narrow constraint, you know, it's this sort of constrained feeling that uh, you've got to somehow uh, fit yourself into, and it's really stifling in some way. A lot of people have this view that traditional christian teaching doctrine dogma you know these words are are meant to stifle us and to uh to to um uh really shut down thought and to uh keep us from exploring you know but but if we push against the boundaries and the edges and we can get you know really uh, by by being edgy and progressive or whatever it is that you know or really questioning altering changing adapting things uh that's really where the the energy's at and i've just you know, maybe it's just me getting older, maybe it's also just having read you know more broadly within the 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 great Christian tradition over centuries. Um I I just I I think that the exact opposite is true. That um orthodoxy is the deep end of the pool. That's where all the excitement is. And all the people splashing around on the shallow end of the pool or getting out of the pool altogether, thinking that this is where the future is, they're they're missing the riches and the treasures that are right there for the taking. And so this is a book that I wanted to write to really turn the tables and to say, you know what, sound doctrine matters, but not always in the ways that you think it does and not for the reasons you think it does. Um, sound doctrine matters because heresy is always narrower than orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is bigger and bolder and broader and has more uh, uh, room to run wild in freedom than anything you can uh, can imagine. And so... Um, what I wanted to do with the book was to, to, to take the different ways that we may drift from uh, the truth of the Christian faith and to to almost inoculate people toward the drift by showing them, by exposing just how boring and insufferable heresies and theological errors can be. How they actually lower the eternal stakes, how they actually gut the gospel of grace and beauty, and showing how theological orthodoxy is where the excitement is and i want to do that for you know for my generation i i we live in a time a lot of people are talking about deconstructing and you've got uh you know people talking about where the next generation will go and what will happen i don't know all the answers to where everything's going to go but i definitely know where the the power of the gospel has been for 2000 years and so that's that's the goal is to to get people thinking in those terms
0: Well, it does, as I think back uh, over my own reading, just from Christian history, too. There are these moments where it feels like somebody is able to come forward in the midst of a generation, I think Lewis was certainly one of these, and articulate the Christian faith in a way that is both orthodox, but to use your title, which I love, sort of thrilling again, helps you recognize really what's at stake in the depth of orthodoxy. And so I, I love the fact that that you're working on this, that you think that's something that can still be done in our own day, that needs to be done, and that there is a way to awaken people to the, the meaning, the depth, the joy of orthodox Christian belief.
1: Yeah, I, you know, when IVP, that's the publisher for this one, uh, University Press, when they, when I was talking with different publishers about it, and I was talking with IVP, they mentioned the need in our generation for a sort of a John Stott, J.I. Packer, Mm -hmm. Francis Schaeffer kind of a book on this particular subject. And of course, when they're giving that kind of, I mean, they're talking about some evangelical heroes for me.
0: Yeah, setting Um, the bar pretty high, huh? Yeah,
1: it actually created, by by them saying that, it actually created a ton of anxiety for me because I was like, you know, these are my, you know, Stott in particular is my my hero. These are luminaries that, yeah, I would love to write a book like that. But I mean, these guys are really, that's a really high bar. And and I mean to be fair, they weren't saying, "Trevin, you are John Stott," and they weren't saying you need to write a book that John Stott would write. But they were saying, you know, every generation of Christians needs that sort of that sort of book uh, that that needs the the Dorothy Sayers Creed or Chaos. You know, the dogma mm-hmm. is the the drama is the dogma, kind of a statement. The the G.K. Chesterton Orthodoxy from a century ago, the C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity, kind of a a thing, and every. And every generation needs a sort of the case to be made again for why orthodoxy matters, why it's not peripheral, why it's not outdated, why it's not on the sidelines, but is vital to the health of the church and for the good of the world. Um And, and so that just the vision of trying to do that in a book like this, uh it really, it's what really captured my imagination and, and, it definitely has been the hardest book that it's been for me to write just because, you know, you can't write a book called the thrill of orthodoxy. If you're going to write a book called the thrill of orthodoxy, you better do as best as you can to help people feel the thrill rather than just tell them it's thrilling. So, so that's my, you know, that's my goal. And that was the the really high bar that I was trying to, to, to work with. And of course the editorial team there was great. And I had lots of friends and uh, uh, colleagues that, that spoke into the the book, but, Uh, But that's the goal. I'm I'm hoping that this will be a book that will be widely useful for a a, a good amount of time. And, you know, if if the Lord blesses it, I pray that that's, you know, I pray that it's the kind of book that a pastor reads and loves and gives to people in his congregation to say, this is why I care. This is why I care what you believe. This is why we care about what we say, what we confess as believers in this congregation. This is why it matters for the world, why it matters for our church. You know, that's, that's the kind of book that I would, I'm, I'm hoping has come out of this process.
0: Did all the work that went into the book and the writing of it, did it, did it give you hope for the church's ability to navigate these challenges to orthodoxy that we're experiencing? Cause I know for a lot of Christians, we look at our, our moment, our place and, um, it's easy to sort of not only lose the thrill, but lose the hope as well, too, and just feel like, you know, it it's defeated. Um, Did it give you a sense of there really is that moment of renewal, that there is an opportunity before us when for people of faith, that faith actually becomes deeper and more significant, even in the midst of what are real cultural challenges?
1: Yes, fr- frankly, I would say i I had that hope before I wrote the book and saw it seemed like a lot of Friends and just people that were in ministry. A lot of people seemed somewhat resigned to, you know, just almost feeling like, you know, just losing that sense of hope. And that that my my sense of hope is one of the things that caused me to write the book. And writing the book actually certainly renewed and, and invigorated that sense of hope even more. But um, the, the the main reasons why I don't think that I ever really have gotten to a place where I've sort of despaired or lost a sense of hope for the relevance and the power of orthodoxy in the future is because, um, I, I, two reasons. One is I've been really connected to the global church, uh, through, you know, life and ministry, obviously doing mission work overseas, but then also just connections across the world. And then, um, in, in particular relationships and, uh, you know, students I've had at Wheaton and in other places There I've got, I, I've been able to get this bird's eye Global view to some extent. Um, And that's one thing that helps me not keep everything Christian wise connected to just what's happening in the United States. Um, It's it's really, really easy, I think, for pastors and church leaders today to have a a very American centric view of Christianity without even realizing it. Um, And so being connected to the global church helps you recognize that some of the crazy things that are happening here are not worldwide. Some of the trends that are happening here are not worldwide. Some things that are happening in other parts of the world are not good, but they're the things that we're not dealing with, you know, back and forth. So the global church and then the church throughout history, the more and more I've read throughout church history, the more I've realized the church is always a mess and the church is always amazing. Uh, The church is always in crisis and the church is always stable like at the same time. And if you don't recognize that that is just the way it always is and the way it always will be that there are always going to be both internal and external threats to the church. And there's always going to be the assurance of Jesus's promise that, uh, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this people. When you, when you keep both of those things in mind and you see how that has worked out through church history, then you start to realize, okay, that there's no unalterable trajectory or trend that's happening in this day and age. That should make me waver on the, the question of what's going to endure A hundred years from now, people will believe the same things that I believe, the same things that you believe, the same things that Christians have confessed for thousands of years. The Nicene Creed, a hundred years from now, will still be recited by Christians around the world. Like this is, this is not going away. Um, the church is going to go through lots of challenges and tribulations and trials, as Jesus told us would be the case, but the church is going to endure. And so, you know, by, by keeping by, by being rooted in church history and by being connected to the global church across the world, it helps you to get your, to, 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 to get your bearings, you know, or to, to be able to lift yourself up above the, the clouds of this current moment and recognize the sun is shining, God's still at work, good things are happening.
0: Yeah, well this is such an important book. I think the conversation we're having around it just demonstrates how much it's needed. And so I'm really grateful for it. well, grateful for letting you drag me drag a second book into our conversation today. So the two books we've been talking about, Psalms in Thirty Days and then The Thrill of Orthodoxy, uh, which is set to be released by IVP this fall, but it is available for pre-order. Uh, Trevin, with all the work you've got going on, um the travel, the the writing, what's the best way for people to keep up with it and also just for us to be able to pray for you? I think a lot of this work is really important and meaningful. And so I'd love to hear um ways that we could support you and also just keep up with the work you're doing.
1: Well, I appreciate that. For for prayer concern, like I I'm I'm in the middle this month and next month of I'm really trying to to make progress on a podcast that is going to address some of the 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 crisis of credibility that we have in evangelical churches across the country and what that might look like for our witness in the future so i i could i've never written a podcast before I've done some podcasting uh a different format of podcasting but this is this is different uh this sort of the production of this is 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 something i' i it's new for me, and so I really would appreciate prayers going into that because i i i have a a very strong burden that this is what's needed for uh, the 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 church today, and I believe a lot of church leaders will benefit from it. Hopefully, uh, if if it comes together the way I'm hoping it will, so that's a, that's a really my my big prayer concern, ministry wise, over the next couple of months. Um, as far as reaching out or staying in touch with me, I'm I, I take a break from social media in the summer, but I'm still there. Just at at Trevin Wax for Twitter, um, at Trevin Wax for Facebook. My if you go to TrevinWax.com, it will take you to my uh my my um, column at the Gospel Coalition, where I have lots of articles going back more than more than fifteen years now of articles going back and all sorts of different topics and and things that are covered there. I think some would be of interest to people um and then you can also if you just click on any of those columns and you scroll down to the bottom, you'll find a link to where you could sign up for an email newsletter um i I won't be sending them out this summer, but I usually do you know twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. I send out some links to interesting things that I'm finding online that might be of of help, of of interest, Uh, my articles, and then just some other fun things too, some books I'm reading or things that are out there that I, I wanna make people aware of.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds like a great addition. So I'll definitely have uh, links to your website as well as both of the books that we've been discussing: Psalms in 30 Days and The Thrill of Orthodoxy. And Trevin, we just wish you the best. Uh, we'll be praying that the podcast comes together, that the the travel and the teaching this fall comes together, and uh, just looking forward to the thrill of Orthodoxy and the opportunity to get to check it out as well.
1: Thanks so much, Chase. I appreciate it.
0: As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com. There'll be information about both of the books we discussed as well as a link to Trevin's website if you're interested in more information. Also, uh, I've got some great conversations still scheduled coming up the rest of this summer and into the fall. So if you haven't subscribed to the show, also, you might consider leaving a review of the show. And if you haven't already, maybe consider picking up a copy of The Five Masculine Instincts. I would love to hear your thoughts about the book as well. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.